scripture memory verse tonight, Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but in works deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Titus 1.16. Anybody else? I did want you guys to notice that. Abominable, disobedient, and disqualified is ADD, okay, in the spiritual realm. You can read that. Go ahead. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but in works, in works, they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Titus 1.16. Good job. Anybody else? Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but in works deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, disqualified. Good job. Anybody else? Good job. Anybody else? It's a hard word to say. That's why I was telling people. Learn to say those three words before you try to memorize the scripture. Anybody else know it? Want to read it? Want to memorize it? Have it memorized? Titus is one of the pastoral epistles is what they classify it as. Now, um, Titus, 1 and 2 Timothy, because Paul is writing to uh, sons in the faith, two different people that he had left places to um, be the leadership of the church. Timothy, he wrote two letters. Titus, he wrote one. He left him on the island of Crete um, to set things in order, we find out in the first few verses, probably the first one through nine. And he wrote it around, right around between AD 62, 64, um, but, you know, this is speaking specifically of what people say uh, and teachers, literally, that's why it's called a pastoral epistle, people that are teaching. But I believe that all scripture is for all saints, and I believe that it's to be used for all people, and it's what we all uh, must apply it to our lives. I know that in the, the, the culture entity today, we have a whole lot of division between pulpit and pew. But really, we're all the body of Christ. We just have different gifts. And while we're using our gifts, we should be able to share the word of God with others. I think that we've been handed uh, some apostasy. And um, we, we, we have a lot of church that just continues to do things that have nothing to do with uh, believing, repenting, 
and then being sanctified and running a race and telling other people or being trophies of grace for them to see. Now, that me and Michael was talking the other day, and it's interesting that it does happen differently in people's lives because when you receive the Word of God, some bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. So fruit's going to look different in life. Sometimes it's only 30. Sometimes it's only 60, but sometimes it's 100-fold. And so that means that there's different stages of growth uh, even in different areas of our lives. Uh, but but this here is really talking about people who are making a profession to know God. I mean, the verse is pretty simple. But in what they do, their works, they deny him. Uh, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. We'll see here in a minute. The word disqualified is really reprobate. It's the, in the King James. It's the word castaway. Uh, and it's a very serious word uh, uh, that Paul uses here, writing to uh, Titus on the island of Crete where he left him. Now, we don't have any real evidence of when this church was planted on Crete or how it got there. Uh, in the book of Acts, you have the, the missionary journeys, and you see where Paul was planting churches and then going back through and strengthening them. And I thought it was very interesting as I was thinking about that, just the way that people get, when they come to Christ, they gave their life to helping other people come to Christ and then encouraging them to grow. And and I, under, I, I mean, maybe that's simple to me, but to me, I don't see a lot of it with Christians trying to help other people to come to Christ and then to grow. I see a lot of people that profess to know God, but in how they live, they deny him. So uh, when you see this, you do. I do think it's Acts two, eleven. We do see that there was people from Crete there when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples when they were waiting. So they could have went back from that meeting and actually established their own church, and then Paul sent somebody to strengthen them and help them. I'm just supposing, uh, but nowhere. Uh, do we see in the book of Acts that they actually went to the island of Crete and um, planted this church? I do not want to cover the whole chapter, but I do want to get some context. I don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, so I'm going to start in verse 10 and begin to look at it and try to close up over at 16. But I do have quite a bit of material. Uh, you can read this yourself. We do have the tapes of the whole book. I may go over it sometime later uh, in the future, early future. I do know that at least three times, um, at least three times, Paul is telling Titus to encourage them to be zealous for good works, that we should not just be sitting around, we should not just be pew setters, but we're supposed to be zealous for doing God's work, doing good work. Uh, and, of course, our scripture here says that they being abominable, disobedient, they're disqualified for every good work. There's no way for them to do good work uh, because of uh, their profession is not lining up. The inside's not lining up with the outside, really, basically. And, and, you know, I know that as I read some of this stuff, anybody can struggle with this. Nobody's looking for perfection. And we'll get to here in a minute where the, the, the pure, to the pure, all things are pure. You know, we're all growing. The question is, are we on the grow? That's the question. Not are we perfect, not are we perfected yet, you know. Uh, and so sometimes the enemy can try to condemn, but we're not looking to condemn. We're looking to encourage. 
we're looking to say that what we need to know as Christians is there should be fruit. There should be growth. There should be a, a lifestyle that is coming out from the abundance of the heart, the same way that we would speak. And so some people can talk a good game on Sunday morning. They can evangelize the pews and talk to people about Jesus and say, I believe in him. But then when they go out the door, there's absolutely nothing about Christ that's in their life. And so that's the, that's the thing is that the devil has so many people deceived into thinking they're okay. And that's why I call it apostasy, that when they get to the throne room, what a terrible time to find out that I was not even saved. I did not even know. I was just professing, but there was nothing that followed. And we know that, that James says that faith without works is dead faith. It's just dead faith. It's not true faith. So there's, there's supposed to be works that follow. And then we have the, 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 this, the other part of the deception is that we can be following Jesus. Do you remember we covered it last week in Matthew 16, 21 through 23? And Jesus begins to tell the boys that he's going to go and he's going to die and be betrayed. And, and Peter takes him aside. And says, not so, Lord. And I'm paraphrasing, not so, Lord. It's not going to happen. We're going to, you know, that's not it. That's not the plan, okay? And he actually rebukes him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Listen, that's pretty powerful. And we need to talk about it more in the church today. Is that people should be rebuked. Jesus rebuked. I mean, this was love. He's rebuking his number one pupil, the A-team. This is the, the head guy on, on his inner three. He's rebuking him. And what does he say? You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And so when we even say good works and you're doing works, are they the works of God? Or are they just good works of men? And he's going to talk about this in this little bitty text that we're covering. So there's a lot there to balance. But the whole point is, is as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So when you're having a relationship in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, and you're talking to God, you can trust perfectly that God is going to get us to the other side. But if that's not what we're doing, then we have no reasonable expectation to have any type of getting to the other side. There's just no way to get there unless we do it God's way. There's only one way. And it's God's way. And that's really what he talks about here as we look at, let's see, let's look at Titus 1. And we'll start with verse 10. And he starts to talk about, I mean, I can start anywhere in the chapter, but I'm not going to teach the whole chapter. Uh, he says, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households, teaching things they ought not for the sake of filthy lucre, lucre, dishonest gain, just to make money. And people merchandise the church. But think about this for a minute, because I want you to understand it. He's talking about that their mouths need to be stopped. Think about it. This is back in, in 64 AD. Now we're in 2024. How many mouths need to be stopped? Because all they're doing is trying to fleece the flock. Uh, you know, all they're trying to do is get the money, and they're, they're, they're doing it for money and for gain, and they're wearing $10,000 suits, and they're preaching a gospel that only preaches to man-centered flesh that makes you feel good, and it leads you straight to hell. And then we sit there and listen to it because I feel good about it. 
Listen, the word of God is there to correct, to rebuke, to exhort, to teach us doctrine. It's supposed to be transforming us. So it's like, it, it, it isn't always going to be, oh, I just love that. That feels so good. It needs to be there because if he's perfecting us, he's purifying us, which we have already positionally, that when we hear the gospel word, when we get into the word and read, we should go, ooh, that's me, Lord. Can you cut that away from my heart? Can you help me with that? Because I know that's me. I'm looking into the perfect law of liberty. I'm looking into your mirror. I see my face in it, and I know you're talking to me, Lord. And so I want to be more like that, Lord. So I know the only way I can do that is by surrendering to you. Because I can't make it happen. Because if I try to make it happen, then I'm going to become a legalist. I'm going to become a, uh, wrapped up in religion. Look at this. Insubordinate. They're insubordinate, right? It means, well, King James says unruly. Uh, it means unsubdued, insubordinate, uh, in facts or temper. They just will not subordinate themselves to any facts or temper, their temperament, and they're disobedient. They will not come under authority. Listen, the Bible is about coming back under authority. The authority of God's word. Did God say? And when you're insubordinate to what the disciples were saying, to what the church was saying, and, and you want to do something different than what the church is doing, then you become one of those that is not underneath authority, and you possibly could be in the church saying you're following God, making a profession, but you're not mindful of the things of God, only of the things of men. And that's that's the danger because we 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 are we are physical, we are temporal, we are looking, and we go, oh, I want one of those, and and we think that you know that getting one of those is going to make us look good, and we don't understand that this is not our home. So getting one of those actually makes us a POW in the enemy's camp as opposed to being set free and walking around living the way we're professing that Christ has set us free from the sin nature and now we're wanting to live for him. So the more we grab for and grab for and go, I need this and I need that and I want some of those, the more we become in bondage and become like this world down here and nothing about us looks like the world up there, which is Christ looked just like the world up there. He came, he had nothing, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He wasn't worried about anything. He was being led by the Spirit of God. And I am not talking about uh, uh, shirking or, 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 or walking away from our responsibility. We should be taking care of our families. We should be working. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. If he doesn't take care of your, your, your family, you're worse than an infidel. There's a lot of scriptures to cover that. But at the same time, when we go to work, it's not just to get the stuff of the world, but it's to be a witness. It's to be a trophy of grace. It's to be the, the, the one who adds light to that situation. No matter what's going on, we should be the one that speak up and add light. We add truth. We try to convict those that are living in another way. And sometimes you have to use wisdom with that because you'll uh, end up casting your pearls before swine if you're not careful. So they're insubordinate, they're unruly, they won't listen to authority. And it, it really it means uh, that they cannot be uh, uh, subject to or in control of. And, and, it, and, and the final word that they had on it in the, when I looked it up was confused. 
See, because, listen, think about it. Really, if you, if you understand the truth completely, and we understand heaven and hell, and we understand Jesus died for us, and the Spirit opens our eyes to that, and we would go on living insubordinately away from what God's authority, His structure, the way He's built His church, we would not want to know about that, then we're kind of confused. We're confused, like, well, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I won't. Maybe maybe he's got a new plan for me. That's kind of confusing. That's what that's what having your heart on other things will do. It'll cause confusion because it doesn't line up with your desires. Well, I feel like you know how many of these preachers are preaching that. You know how many people are teaching that. I was talking to even a nurse last night, and I have nothing against her. I'm not being mean. I have no idea about her doctrine. But what I do have. Is, 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 a, is a mind that's fixed on the Word of God. And when we take people off of college campuses that are 20 years old and we send them to plant churches when they have not been discipled, they do not know the Scriptures, they do not know what they're doing, we're planting bad churches. We might be planting tons of churches, but they're not discipled in the Word of God. I already know. I talk to 20-year-olds every day, 25-year-olds. And the older men, he gets into that in chapter 2. The older men are supposed to be teaching the younger. The older women are supposed to be discipling the younger. This is what we're called to do. And so if our actions aren't doing that, then we are those that are professing to know God. But in our works, we're denying it because we're not coming on our knees and subordinating ourselves. Hupotasso, military term, get an orderly line where you're supposed to be in the body of Christ and begin to help others grow to where they're supposed to be. That's the work we're supposed to be doing, and that helps the whole body become the body of Christ. But what do we do? We sit around and we go, well, that's not fair. He gets to do that, and I don't get to do that. We sit around and bite and nip and get mad and look at what somebody, God has them doing instead of helping everybody be the body of Christ. And then allowing Christ to be glorified and lifted up instead of some man who wrote a book. I like this book that God wrote. That's the book I like. So we have so many that are, they, they refuse to submit. That's the word. That's a word we hate. Insubordinate. That's uh, not submitting. And then they're idol talkers. They're deceivers at the same time because they're, what are they doing? Their pattern of how they're living deceives the people that's watching them. See, people should be able to see us living the gospel and say there's something different. But then when you say you're a Christian and you're insubordinate to authority and then you don't do the things you should be doing by getting into the word prayer and fellowship and adding to the body of Christ, then everybody thinks it's okay to do that. You end up with an apostate church where everybody thinks that's just what it looks like. It doesn't look like that. Go back to the go back to the first century church. Go back and look at them. They were all being punished and persecuted and dying. And they were trying to get just get the gospel out. They thought they were supposed to sell everything. And they still were just trying to sell everything and get the gospel out. And they ended up becoming poor. And, and Paul had to go take up money and bring it back to Jerusalem to help take care of them. Because they just thought, man, this is what we're going to do. We're all in. And yet now today, it's all separated. And there's no, you don't see in America especially... Around the world, you might see some of You don't see the persecution. Oh, it's coming, but we don't see it the same way. We see it differently. We see it more like Sodom and Gomorrah. We see it where in our abundance we've been deceived 
to go rise up and play in all the entertainment and all the uh, uh, playgrounds and all the things that's going on because we have money and a plethora of things that we can go have fun with instead of stay focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing souls saved. So we've been, we've been brought under persecution the opposite way, the same way Sodom and Gomorrah was, where they rose up and played because their cupboards were full and they had everything, they had one of nothing, and they forgot God. See, when you have persecution, when you're, when you're being chased by Nero, when, it, when they're going to kill you if you don't bow down, when there's things going on, you know what happens? You go, man, Lord, what's going on? I'm your servant. You bought me. Hey, help, help. But see, when you have everything and you think that that money and that stuff in your cabinet and what you're doing is because God is blessing you and you don't recognize it as a deception, then you forget God and you think you're okay until uh, you go, wait a minute, I don't have any Benjamins. Then you go, Lord, what happened? You provide for my needs. And then we think it's God's fault and that's totally confusion. And that's what happens when you're insubordinate to God's word. You end up in confusion, and then you don't know what to do. And now I don't know who to listen to. Now I don't know where to be. Think about this for a minute. If you read your Bible, you'll know not to sit in a church that's teaching stupidity. If you read your Bible, you'll know that, that there's no perfect church, but there's some churches that are purposely fleecing the flock. They're purposely not teaching the Word of God. They're purposely teaching lies. I mean, any pastor that would get up in front of you in a $1,000 suit, if they would get up in front of you, I have a problem with that. When there's people starving, there, there, there's so, much, so many things we can spend our money on, and, and, and you've got a walk-in closet that I can park my car in. There's a problem I have with that. I don't care where you're pastoring at. And I don't care nothing about that. Christ didn't do that, and that's the pattern. That's what we're following. Christ did not come down and go, yeah, I know you ain't got nothing, but my daddy got everything, and so I'm going to be riding this camel, and I got a bunch of servants hanging out with me. He came down. He came down and died. He, I know, it's crazy to think, but that's the way they act. He came down and became a servant. He could have done anything he wanted to do, but what he did was came down and became a model and a pattern of what the man of God should look like. And he served. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He wasn't pursuing anything else, but he did everything that he did in perfection. And he did it unto the glory of God. Insubordinate. Idle talkers. Let's just talk about anything. People can talk about anything, but they can't talk about the Word of God. It's vain talkers is what it means. Senseless or mischievous, wrangling, it's empty. But boy, they sound like they know something. They sound like they got some information, and they know what they're talking about. Listen, if they're not talking about the Word of God, they don't know much of nothing. If they don't know the Word of God, I don't care. I'm, I'm not being mean to anybody. I know that you go and talk to somebody on the job, and they're doing their craft or whatever they're doing. They're really good at it. But you know what? They're doing it to go to hell if they're not talking about Jesus while they do it. That's just a simple truth of the gospel. Jesus has to become first. And you have to acknowledge he's the one that gave you that ability. He's the one that helped you to be able to do what you're doing. You know, it wasn't some school. It, wasn't some, it was Jesus that put you in that place. And so those are the things. It becomes vain, empty, senseless, mischievous talk if we're not careful. And deceivers, 
it, it, it means a mind misleader. Listen to me, a mind misleader, a seducer. Listen to me, a mind deceiver, because that's what was going on with Peter. Your mind is not on the things of God. Your mind is set on the things of man. And so he was, having, he was listening to man deceivers. He had listened for a long time. He had plans for a long time. And then he said, here's my avenue to get what I want, Jesus. And I'll just say Jesus' name, and then I'll get everything I want. And that's not death. That's not crucifixion. That's not taking up your cross and following me. That's using Jesus like a genie or a magic wand. So his mind was still on what he wanted, but he told people, and he professed that he was new God. But really, he was still pursuing everything that he always wanted. That's not new life at all. That's deception. That's somebody that's been mind-misleading and seducing people, and all you have to do is turn on your TV and listen to some of these preachers, and that's all they're doing. They're manipulating the sheep so that they can merchandise the sheep. And you send your money in here and you come to our conference and you do this and you do that and you buy ours. And, and they lie to you and they seduce you and they mislead your mind. And so therefore, now you have a mind chasing something else other than the mind of God. And we want the mind of God. Listen to me. We want the mind of God. No matter what we get out of this, we have to remember... Matthew 7, 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. See, that you, you can't do the will of the Father unless you have the mind of the Father. Well, who, where's the mind of the Father come from? Well, it, well, Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit knows the mind of God. And the Spirit can pray for us, and the Spirit can intercede for us. So we need to be led by the Spirit of God to do the work of God. And that's that simple. Just to surrender and say, all right, teach me. He's a great teacher. He's God in the Spirit that comes and camps out in our hearts. And there's no way to do the will of God. It actually means this. Uh, but those who do the will of God, right? Because they're going to argue. Listen to me. Many in the church... They're going to come and they've been mindless, they've been seduced, they've been deceived. They've, their minds have been led away to do religion and all these things that have nothing to do with the Spirit of God. They're going to have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. Listen, lawlessness, right? That's all it is. It's self-will instead of God's will. Those who do the will of my Father. And the will means a determination. Let me read it to you. A determination, a choice. It's a decree or the desire or the pleasures of God. What one wishes or has determined shall be done. Anything else is lawlessness. And that doesn't mean you got to go, oh, I'm scared to death. I don't know what God wants to do. Well, he wants you to surrender. He wants you to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow after him. He wants to see souls saved. He gave his most prized possession to do that. And then he wants them to be sanctified and discipled <coughs> and to learn not to listen to deceivers and seducers that bend your mind and get you over here chasing stuff. And the only way you can do that is by getting into the word of God and say, Lord, here I am, dad, dad, goo, goo, father, Abba, father, I need help because People ain't saying the right stuff, so I want to read your word, and you tell me what it says. You tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. 
I mean, he bought us with his blood. He's got all over. He's capable of taking care of us. But we have to be in that place where we say, I want to surrender, Lord. And everything in me doesn't want to surrender, Lord, but I want to surrender. Lord, but look, I've got this stuff back in my hands. I want to surrender, Lord. But I keep picking it up. What do I do, Lord? Listen, you need to keep coming back to him. Even, even Peter, when he started to sink, he said, Lord, save me. You know, we're going to see on Sunday where he restores Peter. And here's Peter again. He's, he's, he's distraught about what's going on, but he's right there. He came back. He didn't run away. He's running to Jesus on the bank of the water. He's running to him because he knows where his help comes from. You can't just go, oh, it didn't work for me, and then run off somewhere else and go, oh, yeah, but I'm still saved. I'm a Christian. I just don't believe that. I believe that the Spirit of God is, is saving grace and then keeping grace and then sanctifying grace and then there's going to be glorifying grace and, and we're going to mess up all in the middle of that because we're flesh. But if the Spirit of God is in us, He's going to keep leading us onward and upward. And we're not just going to profess, but we're going to confess Him and He's going to begin to bear fruit in us. And yes, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. It looks differently in His time. It's His kingdom. We're subordinating under Him, not being insubordinate to the kingdom. That's how we got in this mess with Adam and Eve. They were insubordinate to the Word of God. We want to learn this. Nobody talking too fast, because I do that a lot. <laughs> Get the tape and slow it down. Sorry. So, insubordinate. And especially those of the circumcision. Now, circumcision... Uh, he's speaking of uh, uh, Jewish people here. Uh, he's speaking of the Judaizers because we're the uncircumcision. Anybody that's not a Jew is an uncircumcised person. They're Gentiles is what they would call them. But he's saying that it's the people of the circumcision that's coming in and causing the most damage. And a lot of times that's what it is. Listen, I'm not worried about Joe Biden. I'm not worried about somebody out there when, when I'm called to teach and disciple and to love and to be a light to the world. They're not the ones really attacking us. It's the other church that's living in a professing way but denying. It's the other churches that is the people that are lying about what the Bible says and believe the history channel instead of the spirit of God. It's that type of mentality that's killing the church because we live a watered down church life. Joe Biden didn't make me live a watered-down church, church life. Joe Biden has never interfered with my life in a way where I can't surrender to God. But everybody's worried about Joe Biden. Everybody's worried about the president, who the next one's going to be. But they're, they're not doing anything. Now, they're affecting some, some things in the physical world. They're affecting a lot of things maybe with your paycheck. They're affecting a lot of things maybe with things that are going to hinder you in some ways, but not spiritually. You can surrender to God and follow the Spirit of God without the physical. And then the physical is maintained by the Spirit. But we're taking it and making the physical and blaming everybody. We're mad and we're quenching the Spirit. Now we can't even look at the Word of God because we see it in a way that we won't subordinate under it. Nope. we got to deal with the presidency first. got to deal with these insubordinate people that won't take care of the American dream. Really? What about our heavenly calling? What about we're not citizens here? I'm not telling you anything about voting or not voting. That's not what I'm saying. 
But when it becomes physical and not spiritual, we're forgetting that we're not to regard anything as flesh and blood anymore. We understand it's a spiritual God with a spiritual kingdom. And I say this all the time so that I remind us. It's about the spirit. It's not about what's going on in the physical. But those that profess what they do in the physical, you can tell they really don't believe on the inside because of how they're living. So you can tell a tree by its fruit, Jesus said. Epigenoskos. You can have knowledge of that tree by what it's doing. It may only be 30-fold, maybe 60-fold. It could be 100-fold. But you can tell where its roots are going down, what it's pursuing after, what it really wants by what it's trying to do in the physical. You might have to correct it and go, wait, oh, you're doing that in the flesh. You need to, do you know anything about the Holy Spirit? Remember Paul in the book of Acts, he comes upon those guys and says, well, when did you get the Holy Spirit? We had not so much as heard that there was a Holy Spirit. We've been following the baptism of John. Well, it's time to grow up here and be baptized in the Spirit and begin to let the Spirit of God lead you into life, not material things, not the eyes, not flesh. I better calm down. I'm not going to get through this. And so we want to be in the Word of God. Listen, that's all I'm telling you. Don't listen to a pastor. I, I, I don't care if I get in trouble. People get mad at me. Get in the Word of God. Listen to God. But then you need the body of Christ to make sure you're listening to God. Because you could be listening to some other spirit. It doesn't line up with what the Word says. This is a perfect book, a perfect instructor, a perfect God, perfect kingdom, perfect salvation. There's nothing wrong with it except us. We're the only thing wrong with what God's doing. But we can be right. Definitely positionally in Christ. But if our hearts are turned toward home... He will use us, I guarantee it, in spite of ourselves. In spite of ourselves. So the circumcision really, uh, it, it, and I don't know if you know, but circumcision, it literally means cutting away the excess flesh, flesh that is not needed. And that's why the circumcision is what he's doing, is circumcision of our hearts. He's cutting away the physical. He's cutting it away. It's not needed if we're spiritual people. The physical is not needed anymore. He, so he cuts it away so we can bear fruit in the spiritual. And whose mouth must be stopped. Really? Stopped? Must be stopped. It's talking about silencing. Put something over to my, to bridle, to bridle them. They subvert whole households. That means overthrow, destroy. Think about that. Oh, man, I was thinking about this earlier. It is almost nothing to say that the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses or the Catholics or something are teaching false doctrine. And most of the church will hear that and go, you're right. But they won't listen in our own lives. And understand that that's going on in our lives. Not just that they're teaching false doctrine. No, everybody, we got to listen to what they're saying. They're teaching this stuff. And look at how good their lives are doing. They preach family. That's all they preach is family. Isn't the Bible about family? Well, it's about marriage first. Well, that's what they do. Marriage, yeah, they multi-marry. So that's not good. And so anyway, I could go on and on and on for days. But we can point over there, but we don't deal with our own household. And God says judgment starts in the household of God. We need to begin to learn the word. We need to begin to live out loud. We need to be the ones that are supposed to be the light 
to every situation that we're in. And, you know, the world don't like that, so they'll probably kill us if we try to do that. That's what happened with the Bible. They killed them when they tried to tell them about Jesus. Then they mocked them and said they were Christians. In Antioch, that, that wasn't a nice term. That was like they were mocking them. You guys are acting like that Christian, the Christ that we killed. He's alive. No, he's not. Opportunity. So, because what are they doing? They're subverting whole households. Think about that for a minute. When whole houses are going to one building to hear from one pastor, and, and they can be as false as could ever be and not know the word of God. What are they doing outside of the pulpit? What are they talking about outside of the pulpit? Listen, if they're not talking about the word of God outside the pulpit, you might want to ask them, is that just something you study to do? Did you just read something, a commentary, and you talk about it on Sunday morning? Or are you, can you talk about that in your private life outside? Are you able to talk about the word of God without your notes? See, because the spirit of God leads us and tells us what to say and helps us to say it. And, and then we go, wow, I didn't even know I knew that verse, but uh, I was able to say that to them, and that was what they needed to hear, and I didn't even know they needed to hear that, but God does. Anyway, I'll calm down. And where are they doing it? It's teaching things. They're teaching, believe me, they're teaching things they ought not. And it's all for dishonest gain, filthy lucre. And then he says in verse 12, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Listen, listen, rebuke sharply? Don't judge me, man. It's none of your business. But Paul is instructing Titus to rebuke sharply. Why? Because we see the character and the nature of even the Christian today that it's apostate. That, that you know, I, I talk to Christians all the time. Listen to me. I'm not being mean. And they have no problem lying. They have no problem making up something as an excuse. They have no problem saying things that they know simply are not true. Think about that long and hard when every lie is from the devil. And the testimony of these Christians, these Cretans, the people on this island, sounds a lot like America anyway. Sounds like a, a lot of us. But, but, but that's the testimony that even their own people say about them. And he's saying rebuke them sharply. Why? Because he loves them. He wants to rebuke them sharply so they'll be corrected and they can live a life for Jesus. Rebuke means to uh, tell a fault, to admonish, to reprove. And we do, we should, with love. But you can't do that today. And it's getting ready to be illegal to do it. I heard a pastor talk about it yesterday because everything you post on your, I mean, because all we're doing, that's where we're communicating at, right? We go to work, we go home, we communicate on Facebook. That's the only place. Not a lot of talking being done. We need to be doing some more talking in the public. And they don't want us to meet at the church because now we're talking to each other. Now we're correcting one another. Now we're giving one another good word of God. They don't want us meeting together. They want to put us in our houses and isolate and decimate us. <clears throat> but people are, are, are talking on the internet, and guess what? You go, to inter you go to jail. Because you posted something that doesn't line up 
with somebody else's belief. Even though it's perfectly yours, it's perfectly the Bible, oh, you might have only quoted Scripture. We had to take that down. We fact-checked that. Not true. Think about it. What happens to the next generation if all we do is profess and we shut up in our works and what we do and what we talk about is not true? That's why we're supposed to be in the streets still standing firm. Well, what if they fire me? I don't know. What if they kill you? It'd be worse than getting fired, wouldn't it? Won't be at work tomorrow. I'll be dead. <laughs> but if you're dead, you're with Jesus. And that's the finish line. I, I don't know how to navigate it all, guys and gals, but I know that we're not supposed to be silent. And we're not supposed to be telling lies. <clears throat> and if you rebuke somebody sharply, that's why I make jokes like I'm the mean pastor. Because if you just read the Bible to people, they get mad at you. They want to they put you in Facebook jail. Because they're trying to destroy God's word. That way then they can make all this little fake sand stuff. And everybody can build their houses on sand. And I'm not even talking about physical houses. Neither was Jesus. He was talking, and I know a lot of people read that, and they're thinking physically, yeah, I wouldn't want my house to fall because I had $180,000 that day. And listen, we're talking about spiritual houses that are going to last for eternity, even in, he in heaven or hell. That's what we should always be mindful of in every situation. What's the spirit doing in this? What's my spirit doing in this? And what should I be doing? What am I building on? Where's my mind being mindful right now when all I'm worried about is getting mine and getting home when there's people dying and going to hell? Fourteen. That they may, oh, wait a minute. Let's look at right there at 13b. That they may be sound in the faith. Are you sound in your faith? Talks about it means to be uh, to have good health, not corrupt, true in doctrine. I mean, are we sound in that? Well, I don't even know what it is. I mean, I, I just right. But are you looking to be sound in it? Are you if you've come to the truth now, you want to know the whole truth, nothing but the truth, self of God. I mean, that's what you want to do. We're in this grand courtroom now. You want to know what it is so you can make a perfect judgment for your life. And then once you make a perfect judgment. For your life, because of who Christ is, then you can tell others. You can go, hey, no, I met with truth this morning. And truth says, you need to stop that. I'm going to have to rebuke you sharply. Because you said he's a Christian. But the, the, the hard part is, is we do need to do it with love. We do need to understand people's emotions and feelings. We do need to understand what's going on in their lives. But we do not want to see them go to hell. Jesus came and died so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. That's how serious he was about it. God gave his only son and turned his back on him at the cross so that he would die and pay the payment for our sin. That's how serious God was about this. And it was always the plan. It was always plan A. This was always plan A. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm, I, I don't want to create beings that just love me and follow me because I've created them that way. I want to create a being that chooses to love me back that chooses to follow me. Well, how are you going to do that, Dad? Well, i got some good news and bad news, son. 
and he put that second tree in the garden. He put that second voice, and you can choose to follow which one you want to follow. But when we choose to follow him, then every, every, everything in heaven is at our disposal to follow him. The Holy Spirit is there with everything, all the mules to take us to Calvary, to be crucified, to begin to live for Jesus. It's called worship is what it's called. Remember when Abraham took his head servants and all the mules and all of his household's belongings and he traveled three days to a place and he went up and they said, you guys wait here, me and the lad's going to go up and worship. Genesis 22, first time the word worship was ever used because he was obeying God. God said, sacrifice the lad. Worship is obedience. True worship. I know we sing songs. True worship is obedience to God. That's why the perfect worship was what Jesus did when he died for us. And he gives us his perfect worship as a position. But then we're learning to worship perfectly in our obedience as we were sanctified and cleansed. As we're saying no to deceivers and seducers and cretins and liars. And we're learning that that's our character. That's who we are apart from God. And we need to be saying no to ourselves. And to false doctrine, but I can't learn it unless I learn truth. But I want to be sound in the faith. Well, then you have to surrender to God, and you have to draw near to Him, and He will make sure you're sound in the faith, that you're a healthy, growing Christian, because that's what He's doing. He's sanctifying, cleansing us, washing us with the water through the Word, and He's going to bring us across the finish line. I love that. Uh, not giving heed. Because he's rebuking them still. Tell them not to give heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men who turn from the truth. Notice that? Man, when men make up their own commandments and their own religion, they turn from the truth. Because you don't have to make any up. They're already written right here. And that's the word intole. It means authoritative prescription. See, when you start listening to men and their authoritative prescription, you've given them the authority back in your life. And they're underneath the sway of the wicked one because they're the seducers and liars and deceivers. But God's not here to seduce a lie and deceive. He's here to save. And when we give him and listen to his commandments and his authoritative prescription, we read his word and follow him. And part of it is confessing our sins. You know what I mean? Part of it is going, wow, I didn't know that was the gospel. Lord, help me to see this better. Part of it is like, I didn't know that was wrong. I didn't know that practice. Now, I said a prayer like they told me. Well, to me, that's their deceiving. That's their mind-bending. I'm already good. I said a prayer. Just one? It doesn't work with anything else. Why would it work for eternity? But God's grace is so sufficient that when we turn our hearts to him, it ain't about our works, but we're privileged to be able to do our works for him by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's, it's, believe me, it's all by faith and grace, but then we're privileged to be a part of the body. Salvation is free, but if we really have salvation, then why not enjoy the rest of it? So, not the commandments of men who turn from the truth. They make up their little religions. They make up their 
own commandments, their own rules. Uh, again, he's talking about the Judaizers. He's talking about the legalistic people. He's talking about any type of religion that doesn't line up with the Word of God. 15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Uh, but even their mind and conscience are veiled. Now, this is a diff difficult text that that pure is pure and, and uh, uh, defiled and unbelieving. And many people have taken this and they try to add it to um, all things are lawful, uh, but not all things are profitable. And they try to say, well, if, since we're purified and we've been pure in Christ, now everything that we do is pure automatically. And they use it as a cloak for lasciviousness. They use it as a cloak to go and sin and do anything they want. But that's not really what he's talking about. What he's saying is, is that if we're pure, we're pure. We're going to look at things pure. We have the Holy Spirit who's, because listen here, listen, let me, let me point this out. He says to the pure, all things are pure, but he uses two different Greek words. If it was the same word, you might be able to make some other type of a claim, but he uses two different Greek words. The first one is to the true, to the certain, and those who say indeed. And the second one is to the clean, clear, pure, and the chaste. And see, and we've been presented to Christ as a chaste virgin. And if we're chaste, then everything that we do should be pure. That's the whole point. We should be wanting to follow him and follow purity. Not that it's already pure because we're chaste. No, now, now we get to follow him uh, and, and live in a way that it shows that we're chaste virgin and people will see that and then we're being uh, regenerated and it shows that what our works are, because he's getting ready to make his point by our verse, right? Listen, our verse is going to be his point, 116. So if I'm pure and Christ is in me and the Holy Spirit's in there and there's regeneration going on, then everything that comes out will be pure. That's the, that's the goal. From a clean stream, you get clean water. But from a soiled stream, you get soiled water. See, so if the Holy Spirit's come in and I became a new creation, now to the pure, the pure should be coming out. Oh, well, that's not pure. Well, then I should be confessing it. I should be asking God to help me correct it. That's the sanctification process. But the other, the other, the same thing is going on. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So what's coming out on the outside, they might say a whole bunch of good stuff, but what comes out in their actions, even their mind and conscience are defiled. Um, again, being mindful that we're supposed to be mindful of the will of God, mindful of the things of God, not mindful of the commandments of men. And so what he says is they profess to know God this is what they're saying, but then everything they do is defiled. But see, with the pure, what I do should look pure. It should begin to become more pure because God's sanctifying and cleansing me. But since I'm defiled, I'm unbelieving, even my mind and conscience is messed up. So I might say, you need to live for Jesus, but then my actions don't show that. What I profess doesn't line up. What I'm occupied with, that word ergon there, works is what you're occupied with. They deny God. They do the opposite of what you're saying. And so, but the pure, you're going to become more pure. But the undefiled and unbelieving, we're not doing what we say. 
Well, what's that mean? Well, profess is the same word for confess. It's the same word in the marriage covenant. It's the same word in First uh, John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins uh, to God, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's how He's purifying us. That's how He continues to purify us. It's the same word. The word that for confess means the same thing as profess. And really, when you get married, let's look at it. Romans 10, 9, and 10. When you get married to God, this is a marriage ceremony. Two people agree, and it's the same thing. That's what the word confess means. That, that's, that's what the word profess means. What are we agreeing to? Truth. We're agreeing to truth. Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. We're agreeing to the truth that changes our lives forever. And now we believe, so then we begin to repent, 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess, that's the word profess that we're looking at, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Same word. It, that if you profess, no, no, that's not what he said, Greg. That if you confess with your mouth, right? Profess, the same thing. They profess to know Him, but in works they deny Him. Same thing. You could have had this translated that. It's the mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe, that's trust in your heart, that God raised Him, stood Him back up from the dead. You will be saved. Soteria. You will be delivered from the sin nature. For with, now he wants to explain it to us. Well, how's that going to happen? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. So you trust in that sacrifice unto righteousness and then with the mouth, confession, profession is made unto salvation. Now it comes out. There's no more denying him. There's a profession and a confession, and you're and they're working together in tandem. Your heart and your mouth are working in tandem. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So over here in the text, he's he's rebuking them, and they're subverting households, and they won't be subordinate, and they won't learn the word, and they're professing to know God, but then in their works, what they're confessing and doing, they're denying Him completely. They're denying by what they do. Because they can't do anything differently because on the inside, they're really ravenous wolves. But they can still surrender. God will always allow us. If we have breath, we have time to surrender. But both of those words are the same. Confess and confession is made unto salvation. Soteria, deliverance from the sin nature. That's what we want. And then we can become pure. And then to the pure, we're looking to be purified, looking to be sanctified. That's the will of God, your sanctification. And that means to continue to be washed and cleansed. That's why the bar of soap of 1 John 1, 9 is even in the Bible. I mean, if, if all it was was one prayer, and then you're perfectly clean and you're fine and you're going to heaven, why do we have to keep confessing it? Why do we have to keep saying, wow, Lord, that, I really blew it there, didn't I? Forgive me of that sin. And then he continues to wash. And every time you agree and say the same thing with him, it changes your desires. Because you realize you're hurting the heart of God who loved you and died for you. It's changing because you're agreeing. And every time you turn on the TV and you agree to click to that one place, you are agreeing with that. Every time you, you turn on the TV and you listen to Joe Biden, you're agreeing to that. Listen, the voice that you're listening to, it, it just keeps, it keeps making it stronger in your life. But we want to hear the voice of God. We don't want to hear the voice of this world. We don't want to be the mindful of the things of men. We don't want to follow the commandments of men, which have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. 
They profess to know God, 15, 16. Know is uh, the, the I do, he do, to be aware, to consider, to have knowledge, to understand, to find is a good word there. Because people go, I found God. You know what I mean? They profess to say they find God. I know God. But then it works. See, it's one thing to be introduced to God. And that's why I always say about marriage. Marriage, we say, oh, I love you. No, marriage is something you grow in love. You, you might be infatuated. You might have some other selfish need and whatever's going on. And you marry somebody. But true love comes from laying your life down, staying married, dying to self. And, and the same way that God's telling us to do it here. We're married to a perfect God, and he says, die to yourself. And when you when you both are saying, oh, wow, they're really messed up, and you both die, and you stay in that relationship, and you learn to make the other one the better spouse, you grow in love. You grow in love. And it's the same thing when you get into the word prayer and fellowship, and you begin to learn and really know who he is and what he's done and what he saved us from, then you don't go out and deny him with your works, you want to be one that professes and confesses and become a trophy of grace where they see that you know a living and true God and your life is changing. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. But in works, they're what they're occupied with. See, what are you occupying your mind with? Listen, this is something we're learning to do. But we really need to occupy our mind with the word prayer and fellowship. We need to occupy our mind with what's your will, God? Because my mind is set on the things of the flesh. And a mind set on the things of the flesh is going to die. That's still death. There's nothing good in the flesh. Go read Romans 8. If your mind is set on the flesh, you will die. If it's set on the spirit, you'll be made alive. You're going to have life and godliness. I'm paraphrasing. And, and, and when they deny him by their, what they're doing, let's see what deny means. It means to contradict. Uh, it, it actually means to disavow, to reject, and to refuse. To refuse what? Great correction. To refuse what? Great subordination. To reach authority. To refuse to come back under and really receive the deliverance that's been given. To receive the life that's been given back to us in the cross of Christ. And it says they're abominable. Ooh, the abominable snowman. Uh, it means detestable and idolatrous. Disobedient, listen to this, this becomes a good one. Disobedient, it, when you look at it, means unpersuadable. When your heart becomes hardened, you're unpersuadable to change. You're unpersuadable, or here it is, this is a word you guys use every day in your language. Uh, uh, I can't even pronounce it. Contumacious. Contumacious. C-O-N-T-U-M-A-C-I-O-U-S. I mean, you used it yesterday in a sentence. I was real contumacious with them. Uh, it means swelling against, haughty, obstinate, uh, perverse, stubborn, inflexible, unyielding, disobedient. Listen, uh, in law, it's in law, it willfully disobedient to the orders of the court. That's what it means. 
And so we're in a courtroom, and God has come back, and he's told us his will, and he showed us his word, and he's died for us and give us a perfect position where the Spirit comes in and says, okay, now let's have class. And, and he's going to wash us and cleanse us from the inside out. And if the inside is pure, then the outside is going to be pure. But if the inside is just talking and playing a game and pretending and is a seducer and insubordinate, then it's going to be uh, professing and denying. So it has to happen on the inside when you receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. And listen, again, all of us are having issues with this. People can have issues with this, but we don't want to stay there. Because your heart becomes hard, and then you can't get the seed down in there, and then it can't bear fruit unless it falls into the ground and dies. And then it's going to bear the fruit. So you want to say, Lord, soften my heart. Lord, plow this up. I've really messed this up. Help me, Lord. I want to receive with meekness your implanted word. I want it to go down in it. I don't want it to bear 30-fold. I don't want it to bear 60-fold. I want it to bear 100-fold. Have your perfect way with me, Lord. I don't want to be abominable, disobedient, reprobate, disqualified, which means unapproved and rejected. It implies worthless, castaway, not standing the test. See, Paul says, test yourself and see if you're even in the faith. And then all of a sudden you put yourself on trial and you go, oh my goodness, I'm rejected, I'm disqualified, I'm reprobate. God uses this over in 128 of Romans they're reprobate. They're given over to their own will, given over to what they want to do. They don't care what God says. We're arguing in our world today with them, and we shouldn't be. We should just be preaching the truth. We shouldn't be arguing with them. The Word of God is clear. They have to twist it and seduce it and, and, and be insubordinate to it and everything in order to get to stay in their lifestyles when, in fact, to the pure, everything's pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Nothing at all. They can pervert it all. They can change it all. We can twist it all. I want it to fit my selfish life. That's not good. That's a terrible place to be. But in our culture entity, we've been handed something that looks like that instead of having authority and, and, and submission and understanding that God has placed everything in order in his kingdom. And we need to find out who am I supposed to be under? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? What's my gifts and talents and abilities? All those things help you to run this race in a place to win and stay in your lane and not run over other people. You begin to do what you're supposed to do in this race, and then you can help others and be that trophy of grace. So they're disqualified for what? Every good work. Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Think about it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped, complete, ready for every good work. See, the truth makes us ready and pretending or not receiving and subordinating ourselves under the truth disqualifies us for every good work. But we can pretend still. We can go do some stuff. We can get involved in people that are doing good works and be right there with them and sweat a little bit, but we're never going to change on the inside. The inside has to come from meeting with God. Meeting with God. Even Paul, I mean, let's look at a few verses here. I mean, the next verse, 2-1 says, but as for you, look at the contrast. 
speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. We're back to that. Healthy doctrine, sound doctrine. Speak the truth in love. Learn the truth. Talk about the truth. Uh-uh, that's not what the Bible says. Well, it's okay. Anybody that knows the Word of God can sit there and, and, and they, they will be able to discuss the Word of God with you. Not argue, not say, well, we don't believe that here, leave. We can actually break this out. Let's talk about it. Show me in the Scripture where it says that. If it's true, we'll start doing it. But if not, we want to stay to the Scriptures. Let's look at a few of these. I want to look at them. I told you about uh, Romans one twenty-eight. He says he gives them over. They, they exchange the use of the body, and he gives them over to a reprobate mind. Listen, if I, go back and read that Romans 1. Even those disobedient to parents is in that list. Because of lawlessness. It's every realm. Even and Listen, every realm, we've been going to lawlessness. Because it's self-will. It's our own plan. It's what the devil leads us to do is we're following the world and not God's word. The only way to be in the law and be under God's perfect law of liberty, freedom, is to learn him and obey him and be married to him. Everything else is speaking a lie that leads us into lawlessness. But let's look at some of these. You can do a little bit of Bible sword drills with me. How about uh, 1 Corinthians 9? 927. 1 Corinthians 9.27. Let's see what Paul says. It's interesting, some of the things that he says when you start to compare it to what the church, much of the church says today, and much of the feelings that we have. So he says this. Uh, then you know what? Let's start in 24. Um, do you not know? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Jesus used to say that to the <laughs> the Pharisees who thought they knew everything. You don't know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you're not the third dog on the ramp of Noah's Ark. Okay? Don't be thinking. I mean, if you're the third dog on Noah's Ark, I'm sorry. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, self-controlled, in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. You're not going to lose it. Therefore I run thus, with, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. We're not shadow boxing people. But I discipline, listen, I discipline my body. It's like being a disciple. Uh, he beats his body up. He conditions it. He does the things like getting in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Listen, he was writing the word. The spirit was using him to write it down. We have this word made more sure. They didn't have all the word of God then. They had the Old Testament. And then they couldn't afford to have scrolls they carried around. And think about it, if they had... 39 books, that would be a lot of scrolls they would be dragging around. Listen, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest, lest, you got it? When I have preached to others, professed to others, I myself should be reprobate. Paul thought like that? That he might be disqualified if he wasn't doing what he said? Think about with Jesus in Acts uh, chapter 1, all that Jesus began to do and to say. They lined up the heart and the actions. They lined up. You got, they work in tandem together. 
Paul said that he might be disqualified. What? That, that's interesting to me that he would say such a thing. 2 Corinthians 13. Just a couple. Is there a third chapter 13 in 2 Corinthians? Last chapter. Uh, 13, what I got? Verse 5. We're reading these together. I just wrote a couple of them down. Examine, put yourself on trial as to whether you are in the faith Test yourself. Try yourself. Prove yourself. Do you know? Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are reprobate, disqualified? But I trust that you will know that we are not reprobate. See, these are things that we should do now. We should do now. Not wait say, oh, well, you know, the church I was going to, they said that if you do this and this, you're okay. Well, what does God say? Not what does man say that, you know, the spirit of Antichrist has been sent out to deceive the elect if it were possible. What, is, what does God say? He says, put yourself on trial. Are you really? Because you can get out of line. You can be, think about it, when you're running a, a physical race and, and you run out of your lane, disqualified. Drop the baton, disqualified. Use uh, enhancing drugs, disqualified. You know, you got to run it the way that the race is designed and the rules are written. And God's will is clear in the Word of God. It's, it's already been determined. It's a written document. And somebody had to die in order to enact that will. And now we want to come and do it God's way, in freedom, in liberty. And there's fruit that, that grows, and you can tell when somebody is not just talking, but they're walking also. And we're all growing together. One more. 2 Timothy 3.8. Another one of the pastoral epistles. 2 Timothy 3.8. Let's see what he said. T's are all in alphabetical order. That's the way I remember. Oh. This is, oh, this is Janice and Jamboree's. Oh, that's what that is. 2 Timothy 3.8, remember that? We're talking about perilous times. And then he gives this example of, in 3.8, Now as Janice and Jamboree's resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt, reprobate minds, disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Now, I think that to all means to all that are really in the truth. Because if you're still being deceived and you're still following a, dece a deceiver, you, it, you're not part of that all. But it would be manifest to all who are truly following God. I think that's what that means as we read that. Because it's, it's not manifest to everybody under delusion. When you're under delusion and you're in the water with them and it's a whole uh, uh, a wind of doctrine that's gone astray, you're thinking, woohoo! But when you're really seeking God, because it's a personal love relationship, don't just follow a church. Don't just follow a preacher. Don't just follow a good orator. You want to make sure you're following God. And then that good, that teacher that you're following 
he should be it should be obvious he's not just professing it but he's actually trying to live it out he's actually going out and doing it he's not just fleecing the flock and getting rich he's not just living a, a, a lavish lifestyle but he's laying his life down for Christ that's what we need to look at nobody's perfect you put any person underneath the microscope you'll find some stuff wrong and the closer you get to people you see the chinks in their armor but when you see the chinks in their armor, you're there to help them and cover them and make sure they don't get speared in that area because you're there with your faith to help them. There's a time when you might reprove them or talk to them. So we don't want to be those who are professing to know God, but in our very actions, our works, uh, the fruit of our life denies and contradicts and refuses to subordinate ourselves underneath uh, because we will be disqualified, castaways. No anchor to our soul, castaways. Lost at sea. And I trust that none of us want to be lost at sea. So we need to, to be disciplined. Just like I tell my buddy who's got brain damage, I tell him every time I talk to him on the phone, Brian, you need to get a pencil and paper and you know you need to stop making excuses and get a pencil and paper and write down these things so you don't keep forgetting them. Take some notes. If you need to do this tomorrow, write it down. If you can't remember that person's name, write it down. I said, you're going to have to come up with a way to, to replace your memory loss and fill it in. And meanwhile, pray and ask God to heal your mind. But you begin to write stuff down and you will help your memory. And at least the next day you'll know you got a doctor's appointment because it'll be right there on the piece of paper you pick up every day when you meet with the Lord. You'll know what your requirements are. So it's very important to practice it, to be diligent about it, to beat your body into subjection. Oh, I don't really want to do that. I don't like to pray. And Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer. So does that mean you don't like Jesus? I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, next week is Jude... 20. Jude 20. There's only one chapter in Jude. You can say Jude 120 if you'd like. Uh, Jude 20 says this, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And I know that's a whole phrase that's going on, but I'm just going to do the one verse and we'll talk about the others. Praying. Bring us back to praying. The number one thing is praying. Listen to me. Number one is praying. My house should be a house of prayer. Can you beat yourself into subjection and make yourself sit down and say, Lord, give me the ability to sit here and talk to you in a conversation about these issues in my life? Because you're the only help that's coming. Everybody else is going to pour gasoline on my fire and they're going to make it worse. It has to be you, Lord. So I trust you, and here I am. I'm waiting on you. What do I do? You know what? If he doesn't tell you what to do, then don't do nothing yet. But go to God first, and then you go to men of God that know the word of God, and then you wage your war if it lines up with God. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, that uh, we are not those who shrink back. We are not those that uh, profess to know you, and then in works we deny you. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, fill us up with your spirit, 
that you would uh, quicken to our hearts what our gifts and talents and abilities are. And you would give us a desire to fulfill your calling upon our lives and to follow close behind you. Pour out your spirit upon us. Have your way with us, Lord. Uh, and uh, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We can't wait till we see you face to face and get a walk down that aisle to be betrothed or to be married to you and consummate the marriage. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Lord bless you.